Following a successful period performing in major musicals around the country for a number of years, Andy Dexterity decided it was time to press pause for a bit and re-evaluate what he had to offer creatively. What more was there that he could contribute as a storyteller? The next theatrical phase of his career was to see him fuse his skills in dance, physical theatre, education and sign language into a unique ability to communicate with an audience in a uniquely visceral way. A celebration of this performance style led him to a series of fabulously engaging video clips on YouTube. These brilliant broadcasts on social media led to choreographic engagements that incorporated Auslan, the physical language of communication. Andy, soon serving a term as the Mayor of Wiggletown, the home of the highly successful children's entertainers, the Wiggles. And whilst exploring and developing his unique brand, he was invited to be a presenter of a hugely regarded TED Talk in front of a worldwide audience, leading them in a performance of Bohemian Rhapsody. A new chapter is about to emerge with a move to the States, where he hopes to follow a path similar to heroes Fred Rogers, Walt Disney and Jim Henson. Anything is possible. So how exactly did all of these opportunities come about? What is the story that has contributed to Andy Dexterity? One can't help but be enthused by Andy's contagious positive energy. We poured the champagne to toast his new adventure and recorded this thoroughly engaging conversation. There's no little waves. Waves. Hello. 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 There oh, go. there you go. Oh. Maybe you're just being gentle or something. Too gentle. Too gentle. We'll be there. Two, yeah. Two gentles of Verona. Oh, Both alike in champagne. Champagne. <laughs> it, it did work though, didn't it? It, it played yeah. back. I live in fear that it's not going to record. So anyway. Oh, they're here. We'll wait for that fucking ambulance to go by. Great. They will go by occasionally, but that's that's what happens at the Wyndham Studio. Mm. Um, now, your real name is not Andy Dexterity, but you've chosen this as your professional name. Yes. Where did Andy Dexterity come from? Probably born from my passion of sign language and physical communication. I um, I went off to TAFE. I took a sabbatical, left Sydney and moved to Nelson Bay and um, thought I'd learn something useful to humanity. My mum was in rehab, so I was like, get out of the house, we're going to learn something. Took her and um, we started twice a week learning Auslan and um, I just fell in love with not talking really. It was nice to be quiet. What had happened to your mum that she was in rehab? Oh, she... Um, she had some tumours cut out. Right. She lost mobility of her legs. And, um, yeah, it was a nice mother-son thing to do. That's pretty traumatic. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, she learned to walk again. I lived with her near McDonald College for a bit. Right. So that was good, looking after her and teaching at the college. And um, So, so was... Um is it Auslan? Do we call it Auslan? Is that the yeah. Australian Sign Language? Yes. So did, was that something that always called you or was it? Um, did you find it out of a need to sort of do something for you and your mum together that would get... Looking back on it, I think it's always been there trying to catch my attention. Um, the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games, Nikki Webster sang a number in the opening ceremony, which everyone did in Auslan. And I remember thinking it was really cool. Was, everyone was doing it like a, a secret language. And um, I think that was the first time I was exposed to it. And so so you've nev you'd never known any deaf people or hearing impaired, nothing no, in the family? No? no. No, I mean, I'm not the best listener, but that's as far as it goes. Are we on? Yes, I'm just checking my blue lights on. Oh, your blue lights on. The blue lights on. Um, um, it, yeah, it, it was not born out of necessity, um, but more out of curiosity and freedom of expression. I, I found um, having some more vocabulary to express myself really suited me fine. And my gesticulating hands, it gave me something to do with them. So having dance roots, mm. so to speak, is, mm. is that maybe something which hooked you into Auslan as well, just to sort of 
an extension of that that physicality that you're able to use to tell a story yeah I think I'd done something like 14 musicals and I was tired so I left Sydney and I wanted to do something completely different it just so happened that Auslan eventually took me back to the theatre in a whole new way incorporating it into the choreography of theatre but yeah as a dancer I picked everything up at first sight really everything was just chore and I, I was quite bored at TAFE because the curriculum moved quite slow and I, I just wanted to learn everything that there was to learn and then I wanted to build upon it because I just saw so much scope um, and so much room for innovation and experimentation with it especially in the arts like why isn't this here and why isn't this everywhere why isn't everyone aware of this yeah outside of accessibility and disability it's a beautiful art form it's poetic movement Mm. Mm. let's go back to the beginnings Where, where did you grow up are you a sydney boy yeah i grew up born in Warunga and um, grew up in Cherrybrook which was nice and bushy but very scary during bushfire season yes yes I grew up in country Victoria mm. and every year every summer which seemed to be so hot they get hotter every year there's mm. no, nothing such as climate change though is there he says tongue-in-cheek but um yeah we lived through a, a couple of major bushfires in Victoria um is extraordinary yeah and being a child and being evacuated is very intense yeah. it's I, exciting it is isn't it it is exciting but I, I remember surrounding my room with um staplers and other metal items i found in the house because i thought it would protect me from the flames it would, oh. it would be my little circle of safety they'd burn not um, my staplers. No, right. Oh, good, good, good. good. Um, I remember going around, we had this huge, um, it would have been probably 85, that early 85. I just finished year 12. And the family drove around the next day, just the, the neighbouring sort of hamlets and, and um, small towns. Um, and the thing that has sort of scorched into my brain, if I can use that fiery term, are the, are the animals the, that were out in paddocks, horses and sheep, who obviously uh, succumbed to the fire, but they were they were just left there as these charred like charred statues, still standing, still standing, etc. Obviously, trying to run away from the fire or escape, but the, the fireballs must have been approaching so fast that they just scorched wow. them on the on the spot. And I've never forgotten that. It's yeah. a good premise for a show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know all those visuals that we experience through life can be quite powerful and motivate mm. us in various ways to tell stories but yeah mm. we're sidetracked so <laughs> um, what sort of child were you then very shy the kind of hide under your mother's skirt shy and that why because it was this i don't know there were helicopter parents there then or anything but it just it was just inherent in your makeup that you were i think so introverted yeah yeah, I wore big glasses, had lots of allergies. There was always something wrong with me, that nerdy kid at school with all the problems. And I also remember a lot of people not knowing if I was a boy or a girl or what gender I was. And Oh, because you were, you were pretty? I was a pretty boy. Right. And um, that was quite confusing too, because I didn't know. What are you talking about? Why do we have to... Um, so yeah, it was a very, I was a cloud growing up and didn't know, it wasn't, took me a very long time to ground myself. And I think performing arts definitely did that. Learning to dance was, um, the first place I think I started to come into my body as a human. How was that met at school by your your peers I mean a a pretty boy dancing terrible yeah yeah were you bullied yeah terribly Uh, well there was also a mixture of you know being celebrated as well like oh you're the dancer boy but um 
yeah, bullying was just a given, especially as I moved into high school. Um, I spent most of high school not at high school because it was so unpleasant. I Did mean, what happens when you play the female lead in the musical high, an all-boys Catholic high school, you know? You don't think of these things beforehand, but um, yes, it was not a fun time. Surely that's demonstrating your versatility. Right. Right, you would think yes. so. So so being bullied like that, does that, how does that help you later in life? Did, are you a resilient person now? Yeah, I think that's the main reason I taught. So in between shows I would go to places like the McDonald College and be the teacher that I didn't have. I wanted, I wanted younger people to know it's going to be okay and to keep doing what you love because I survived. It's, it's, it's hard for a kid, isn't it, when you're a teenager or younger and you're experiencing that bullying to, to understand that it will be all right in the end, that you will grow into a beautiful person mm. and the bullies are just fucktards. Mm. Yeah. I, I do enjoy being in the position where I can step in and defend someone as well as the teacher that that's been wonderful um yeah i still i'm not teaching at the moment but i struggle when kids get into trouble for wearing makeup or boys wearing skirts and things like that and to watch them get punished for it that's that sucks when they're just celebrating being themselves i am what i am which is the gorgeous thing isn't that what we're doing absolutely yeah so I think that's that's my main motivation for moving into television production is to create a place where everything is celebrated. There's a place for that. Yeah, that was a side note. No, that's great. We'll pick up on the TV thing a little bit later. Mm. Did you have siblings? Yeah, I've got an older sister. Yeah. We grew up dancing together. Right. She is a champion pole dancer. She's incredible. She had a baby and was back on the pole a week later. She's she's an strength. athlete. Yes. She's very left-brained. Um, she's very logical. We're, we're good together. What um, were your theatrical influences growing up? Did your parents take you to see live performance? Oh, or yeah. Did you, were you taken away, swept away by the MGM musicals that you hired from the DVD shop or, well, or the video shop back then? Our probably. babysitter used to watch Grease every time she would babysit, but we were never allowed to watch it because it's a bit adult. There's adult themes in it. But I swear subliminally I learnt the entire soundtrack, Falling Asleep to Grease, because, um, yeah, you could just hear, um, we go together, like, at least once a week yeah. while we're falling asleep. Um, I think that was the beginning of it. And then mum took us to go see all the um, um, Gilbert and Sullivans with John English and Simon and that mob. So Pirates of Penzance is like our spoken language at home. We speak Gilbert and Sullivan at home. When you say orphan, do you mean someone who's lost their parents or orphan frequently? Very good, very yes, good. Yes, yes. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, um, there was lots of um, physical action that went with that. So dancing, as a young boy, you were competing in a Steadfords, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, that was horrible. I hated it. That um, demand of competition or, you know... Someone having to be best all the time. Yeah, and also being a boy. Being a boy was like you were a bigger of a deal in that environment than all the girls were. Like, oh, there's a boy competing. Like, yeah. I was the the the, the number often choreographed around you being the only boy, or did you have to sort of oh, blend in with the girls all the time? Yeah. yeah, it was me and a bunch of girls, which is cute. Yeah, I get it. But it's um, pretty tricky just to like slot a boy in on the side to blend in, isn't it? Yeah. Wouldn't that be great, though? It would. Just drag him up and put him in the chorus. In tune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't until I went... There's a um, 
performing arts school called ACE, Australian College of Entertainment. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember that one. But no, that no, no longer exists, does no it? No longer exists. Right. Um, but it was the first school I went to that didn't compete and only did performances. So they would do like opening of shopping centres or they'd go perform at McDonald's for McHappy Day and, you know, they just do community events. And I think that was the first time that I was allowed to fall in love with performance purely as a mode of expression, entertainment, and not com- comparison. It was, it was good. So when did you realise that you might want to make this your, um, your life, a career? Well, I don't think I decided. I think the amount of bullying that I went through, it was my safe haven. And so the more I got bullied, the more I was in the rehearsal studio choreographing or writing or making things up, existing in a another world. And so I think all of that attention that I was putting there, it just naturally evolved into what I did after I finished school. That's uh, interesting. If you weren't bullied, do you think that you would be doing this? No. No, because I think performing was a bit of a fuck you. Like... There was, there was a huge part of me that had to be successful because of everything that had happened. Like, I'll show you. And so I did. And, um, yeah, I left school early to do my first tour. And I didn't stop. I was doing back-to-back musicals with this fuck you energy, which was great in terms of, you know, achieving my dream of doing musicals. But... It wasn't very sustainable because I was having a one night stand. I wasn't in love with performing. It was, it was a tool for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you have to pay bills. You've got to start to earn an income. So, and you're obviously very good at what you contributed to a musical that you just went from job to job to job. Mm. But ultimately, you say, not being completely satisfied. No. No, I was doing it more for everybody else, especially those who harassed me at school. Have you ever run into any of those bullies again? Yeah, one of them turned out to be very gay. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and apologised to me at a barbecue, which was lovely. I didn't know what to say, but... um, Yeah. Mo- yeah. Mostly met with an apology, which is nice. But um, it did reach a point. I remember sitting in the dressing room. I was doing Alter Boys. Kate Gall directed that one. Um, I was in the dressing room. And, you know, I'd reached a point where I'm like, oh, someone else would really enjoy this job. I'm not completely in it. I'm not doing it for the right reasons. And that's when I left theatre. I left Sydney. And that's when I learnt sign language. Like, I just needed to cut myself off and fall in love with theatre again or in a healthy way you know rather than it being a one night stand I wanted a long term relationship with it yep. so I needed to date it and I wanted to court it and flirt with it and something that was going to give something back to you and ultimately yeah. satisfy you yeah allow you to light up that cigarette perhaps mm. post show mm-hmm. mm. <laughs> this metaphor where's this metaphor going Andrew don't know uh, um, I'm sweating. Yeah. <laughs> so musicals. I mean, how do you, I mean that's a, a form which demands so much physically. Um, you know, acting, singing, dancing, flat out eight times a week. How do you prepare yourself physically for a, a marathon? You know, a long run like that. Doing a musical. Mm. Think... A lot of people describe it as a monastic experience. You know, where it's just the show. Mm. Well, the show keeps you fit. Yeah. I remember when I was doing Fiddler on the Roof at the Capitol, I would get into the theatre two hours early and teach a dance class. Like, I had that much energy. To the ensemble. Yeah. yeah. I'd just say, open open jazz class, and we'd put on 80s dance gear and, like, have a whole one-hour class, which was wonderful. But I couldn't imagine doing that now. Like, I don't have the energy to do that. Like, if I was Because doing, you're older? Because I'm older, but also life isn't all just about the show anymore yep. it's yep. finding balance like yeah when I was younger my life was the show 
everything. I would collect my mic tape. I would save everything. I would have journals, photos. Yeah, I didn't. I must have loved it. I must have loved of it. Of course you did. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Those big commercial musicals also require a lot of touring. Did you enjoy touring? Did, did you get to see a bit of Australia? Yeah, I went everywhere except Darwin. Still haven't been to Darwin or Alice Springs with a show. Not even with Wiggles. They go there, but I, I never end up... Um, there's something repelling me to the centre. But, um, yeah, it was the best way to see the country. Absolutely, especially the regional tours. I did one of those tent shows. Wow. Who was, was it? That, the, it was Shout? Was it Shout? Shout, yeah. yeah, yeah. The Jacobsons and the Webbers family. They've got their whole entourage of trucks and tents. Um, that was my first show. Um, so we were driving between regional towns. I, I hardly remember anything. Would you enjoy touring now? No. No, it's a, no. It's, a, <laughs> it's a young person's. It's exciting to Maybe. get out there and a new apartment every every town. But Maybe I don't know. Like Cirque du Soleil contacted me once, and I couldn't even wrap my head around the idea of a long running show. I love one night onlys. I really like mm. a special event. Yep, yep. I like creating a piece that exists for that moment, then it's done. Yeah, I, I struggle with keeping the show fresh now that I've gotten into a rhythm of creating very quickly with the sign language thing creating a piece for an event and then it's done I love that it's a bit like home and away learning your lines before you shoot and then they're gone do you enjoy the audition process it's a necessary evil auditioning auditioning yes terrible no, but I seem to have been good at it, or I wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Um, but just, I was just doing some auditions for the Hayes, for we're doing HMS Pinafore, yes. 2019, yes, yes Christmas. Um, you learn so much sitting on a panel, like, oh, I didn't do that, did I? Oh, that's terrible, what a horrible thing to do. And is there a more effective way of casting a show? Is this the best way to do it? Because, you know... A lot of people don't perform well under the circumstances, and a lot of people do, and it doesn't mean they're going to be great in the show either. And especially when you go into a panel who are all wearing their resting bitch face. Psychologically, you've really got to be prepared when you walk into a room to to show them your stuff, don't you? Yeah, but personally, I love the unprepared auditions. Right. I love someone who has not thought about it too much and they don't bring all their ideas in the room because that gets really stuffy. Someone showing Who's you... Who's set in their... What they're going to deliver. Yeah. 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 Um, and then you give them direction and they can't, you know, alter what they've done because they're so convicted with it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, sitting on the panel is really interesting, but I don't think I could audition anymore. I don't. I don't know why, but I think I'm definitely more on the creative side. Or if I'm performing, it's definitely something that I have created myself. I'm happy to bring a director on and give me an eye. It's always fun. How did you become the mayor of Wiggletown? Oh, well, so I'd gone off and learnt sign language. And um, I was pretty much just at home getting quite depressed, hanging out with my mum, who was learning how to walk again. And Emma Watkins yellow wiggle was a student of mine at mcdonald college she did a school project on me she made a poster she's put together a whole collage i think she even cut together a video documentary it was a little bit creepy um but, but, so, but Chof, why so why did she find you so interesting or fascinating? i don't know right. i haven't asked her about it but um so she was like stalker to the max and in a nice way she's you knew so lovely I don't know if she could be a stalker when you know her no <laughs> but I obviously found it quite endearing because then we decided to be friends from there on great yeah and um, so she went off and became the first female wiggle and um, she could tell I was at home not being creative and she said why don't you come into the studio with us 
So initially I was at um, Hot Potato Studios just doing odd jobs. And um, the longer I stayed there, the more in front of the camera I got. And they're very spontaneous in their production. Like they don't write scripts. It's all happening on the spot. You know, you're just in front of the camera and it is happening live. And that's the product. And I think that's the magic of the Wiggles. And just over time, I ended up being given an orange skivvy and you're now the mayor and here's a song 6am learn these lyrics we're going to film it in two hours and it just snowballed and I was having so much fun so I just rolled with it and at the time my sister my pole dancing sister she was having her baby and I thought wouldn't it be cool if he had an uncle that this this nephew of mine had an uncle that was on the wiggles so that was nice encouragement so is that what has fostered your, um, uh, what may be your destination to create children's entertainment? Yes, yes. I think after 14 years of doing musical theatre and, you know, there's character arcs and there's narrative and you have to perform and feel and all of these different emotions. And it was so nice to just, feel joy, be joy, share joy with the audience and that was it. It was so nice to just sing Hot Potato and have fun and that was your job. And I thought, I could do more of this. Like, the world does need more celebration. I love celebration. Like, it's one of my favourite things. Which is probably why I'm drinking champagne right now. Um, <laughs> like, what's not to celebrate? at any given moment and I think that is definitely at the heart of everything that I want to make is people to feel good and you know people can feel good watching a musical and they get taken on a journey but with the children's material from the word go it is joy we're celebrating napkins we're celebrating the color red you know and it's great isn't it great you know and I, I love living there with performance and creativity well, you get very creative with your choreography, and there's a very, there was a very celebrated production of Rent a few years ago, mm. which was choreographed, and you employed sign language in the choreography. Yeah. Tell me about that, your reasons for doing that. Um, so, at the time, I was making lots of YouTube videos, taking pop songs, and making camp videos about I the want house. to break free. Yeah. I love that one. Back when I had no fucks to give and, you know, low-fi quality was all the rage. Um, and Sean Rennie, the director of Rent, he saw the videos and he's like, whatever you're doing, I want that in this production somehow. And so during the rehearsal process, um, I was introducing the cast and crew to sign language basics, I guess, which was beautiful. Um, we were just working on... I guess a built vocabulary within the cast you know we we're creating our own language our own shorthand that we could communicate with one another and pretty much we learnt a lot of the show which is almost an operetta it's mostly sung that show um, we learnt a lot of it in Auslan so we embodied the script not just learnt it not just learnt the lyrics and the the dialogue and the notes but we really felt the words in our body, which is such an interesting process. Like, I, de I think it's definitely something I'll unpack later in life is using sign language or physical communication as a process to build theatre, not necessarily as the end product, but as a, um, a doorway for the performers to discover things by going through it, by being the lyrics in your body. Like, it's one thing to... Um, you know, sing seasons of love and list all these beautiful things. How do you measure love? But to feel those things in your body as you're singing them is a very different experience. Like, yeah, I don't have the words to describe what it is doing yet because I guess I'm still early on in the journey. But an embodied dialogue it's so experiential, like, yeah. Have you used 
the sign language in other choreography that you've done? Yeah, 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 yeah. It um, it's tricky. It's because like you could you could offer sign language as an accessibility and interpret the entire show with interpreters, um, and they will be interpreting what the words are saying. So it's going to be a literal translation of the lyrics, and it's going to happen over there, um, which is fantastic. It makes the lyrics accessible, but how much room for poetry, how much room for unpacking what the lyrics means is going to be in that translation. And I love the exploration of, well, what does this lyric actually mean? Um, you know, translating Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, I did a TED talk last year, TEDx Sydney, um, and just sitting with Freddie Mercury, Mercury's lyrics, it's like, wow, this song could be about so many different things. And which, which of these interpretations am I going to reflect with my body? Am I going to go literally, or are we going to go, are we going to go into purgatory here? Or are we going to comment on his sexuality here? And I love taking all of those different approaches and then picking a beautiful one to play with. And so Rent was such a good place for me to play. Like it was, it was so wild that Sean Rennie gave me the opportunity to play with the idea of sign language in a major musical. I mean, we sold out both seasons before we opened, so it didn't matter how successful or crap it was. Um, but I'm pretty chuffed that Full Houses got to see Auslan in action not on the side of the stage, but integrated into the performance with the whole cast doing it together. And even if it was just me getting goosebumps all over, it was totally worth it. Like all the performers, um, like I'll bump into them on public transport and they'll just do some sign language at me from the show still. Like it really sticks. Like, you know, you learn into Into Spider when you're five and it sticks with you, you know. But you can sing and do a duet across a crowded carriage without interrupting anyone's space. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think there's something about speaking and moving the hands at the same time that we do a hell of a lot when we're, when we're little, but when we grow up, there's less of it. We might do it at a footy match, doing a war cry or something, but it's so powerful and it really stays. And I think there's something exciting there and I want to bring that in. I want to bring more of that, especially audience participation. Anyway. I, I love that you got that gig from Sean seeing your YouTube works. Mm. Um, and I know you've got an Instagram profile. How important do you think it is for a performer to, to have a profile on social media? Is it a good way to build their brand and to get their work seen? I think it's a good way to share what your exploring and doing but I don't think it's essential I think I think it's so nice for your artwork to exist offline as well and there's something old school and romantic about word of mouth and um, you know people rocking up to your show because they heard someone talking about it rather than it being promoted and shoved in your face it's um, yeah I haven't been making YouTube videos for a few years because I don't I don't like to be that annoying person online. I'm like, well, if you're interested, come to the table. I'm not going to, you know, sit you down in the chair. Um, I think they were a great calling card. They certainly made people aware of what you were doing and absolutely the work that you were and developing. And they still live online. Those yeah. those videos and they represent a certain time. Um, oh, but then it got. It got messy with the whole um, copyright of oh, using okay. other people's music. And then, it, you know, is it discrimination by not allowing these videos to exist because, you know, hard of hearing and deaf can't access the music? And I didn't want to be a politician. And all of a sudden it got political. And I'm totally in it for the joy and the beauty. Like, I love movement and I love getting people to move. I don't enjoy the discourse around it. Um, and then there's the whole um, deaf community um, aspects as well of, you know, is it my 
position to be doing work like this? Um, uh, whose language is it? Where does body language become Auslan? Where do you draw the line? Am I deaf enough to be using Auslan? Um, yeah, there's endless conversations that this joy has blossomed and bloomed that I found myself in very interesting conversations with a lot of people in lots of different places. <laughs> Tell me about the TED Talk. Yes. I mean, that is that still available online? I, yeah. I guess we can still see it. Yeah. But you were working a huge crowd there. How many people were in the audience? At the ICC, 5,000. Yeah. Is that, was that daunting going out to confront that? <sighs> My brain was so empty. It was... Oh, and plus the whole world watching online, right. live streaming however many hundreds of thousands of people watching. And I hadn't done public speaking since high school. Like the thought of... So initially they approached me just to do my sign language thing. They wanted a performance. They thought, great, you're keen, your YouTube videos are fun, people seem to like them. Do that at TED. And then as um, the conversation evolved, they were like, did you want to say something? Did you want to give it a bit of context? And then... Next minute, I'm doing a 15-minute talk. I I, am, I was n nowhere near being a confident public speaker. And I remember the day before I went out, I had no idea what I was about to say. And um, the stage manager said, oh, we're running ahead of time. You can talk for as long as you like. I'm like, don't tell me that. I'm going to be mistakenly inappropriate. I'm going to say something terrible. I'm going to waffle. I'm such a waffler. Um, but yeah, it was a successful talk. I stuck to my points. Um, and Bohemian Rhapsody was a big hit. It was so, it was such a treat to, um, well, initially they said, um, oh, could you do something? Um, could you do sign language to an Aussie song? Keep it local, maybe Tina Arena or Delta. And I was thinking, oh, chains, Tina Arena chains in sign language would be pretty boring just like they're tied up right yeah and all that repetition yeah <laughs> baby baby and i thought what would be really great like how often do you get to do a ted talk so i thought i want to use material that is universal I want to use a song that is going yeah. to be known around the world yes and, and I, people can join in with yeah, yeah and i always think you know you're drunk in a taxi on your way till the third club and Bohemian Rhapsody comes on and no matter what background or what language everyone speaks, you're all gonna at least do the air guitar bit in Bohemian Rhapsody. Like people know it. And um, Fenella, the curator of TED said, well, look, if you can get the rights, you can do whatever you like. And I was like, okay. So next minute I'm on this mission to get the rights to use Queen's music. Ridiculous. I'm a bit deflated, I'm at home. Ted's wanting me to do Aussie content. And um, my partner, Sebastian, he says, why don't you uh, email the Wiggles? Um, they'll be able to help. So I had a glass of wine and I started emailing Anthony the Blue Wiggle. I'm like, hey, do you know anyone that can help out? Um, I'm, I'm trying to acquire the rights to Bohemian Rhapsody. He's like, oh yeah, my mate Ben Elton, he wrote We Will Rock You. Um, I'll, give him, uh, I'll give you his email. So um, I have another glass of wine and I'm emailing Ben Elton. This is a hoot. Like, <laughs> even if nothing became of it, I'm emailing Ben Elton, which is fantastic. He wrote back to me, he said, I don't quite understand what you're talking about, but um, I can forward your email on. Um, it's a long shot because Queen get requests all the time. Can you imagine how many people want to use their music and adverts and whatnot? Um, so I put together a little pitch and I said... Oh, 150 million people on the planet have never heard your music. I am, I've been given this opportunity to allow access for them to experience Bohemian Rhapsody. Are you interested in helping make this happen? And um, I got a rep reply from Brian May, whom I didn't know. Oh, wow. Well, I know who he is. I didn't it's, know. 
you didn't. Dad didn't gave me a register. slap on the wrist. Uh, so it wasn't his assistant or anything. It was Brian May at AOL.com or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, organising a Skype time with, who was it? Brian May's daughter or something. She's looking after the estate and a lot of um, the legal side of Queen's music. Um, so it's all happening. And um, it, w- it was tricky because um, a few weeks later, Sony Music contacted me and said, um, oh, Queen have been in touch with us. We'll get back to you with a quote. And I was like, a quote? Ted is non-for-profit and I'm a poor artist. Like, I was probably still in debt at the time. And past tense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, I... I I'm emailing Queen again going, um, Sony Music is going to give me a quote. Uh, this is not how... This is, I can't do this. Um, I'm sorry. It's looking like Tina Arena. I'm in chains after all. Um, anyway, the day of the um, TED Talk comes and um, the curator, Fenella, comes up to me and says, oh, by the way, we secured lifetime rights for you to use Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, so have a good time. And um, so, yeah, the TEDx video lives on the internet. I didn't have to pay a cent to use it, which is such a gift. And it, Bohemian Rhapsody now lives in physical form for people who can't hear it to have some kind of idea of what it's about. I mean, I wouldn't imagine someone who is profoundly deaf to have the same experience of Bohemian Rhapsody because it's quite a piece, you know? Yeah. It's a ballad, it's a rock song, it's operatic, it's, a, it's so many different things. And to paint that visually is a challenge and, you know, that's just my interpretation that lives online. But, yeah, it's nice to um, unify people with that video. And it's beautiful and it's I encourage anyone out there to, to look up that TED Talk and, and um, see what Andy's talking about. Um You've done quite a bit of teaching, as we've talked about earlier, in dance and musical theatre. What is it that you ensure your students understand or, or learn from you? Ugh. I really... Oh, it's catch-22, but I love... I love anyone to believe in themselves, you know, um, and to feel like they're enough and what they're doing is good enough. And no matter where they're at, it's worth it. Um, I find beauty in very unpolished performances which makes me also a terrible teacher (laughs) because I get such a joy of watching a student no matter where they're at with it Um, and yeah I just I think I just like giving love that's I think that makes you a good teacher I think you know if you can see a kid sort of how ordinary they are or how fabulous they are I mean as long as they're they've invested in it and they're they're playing it, you know, full out. That is a beautiful thing. Yeah. They're getting joy from it. I mean, it doesn't help, you know, ticking off boxes in a curriculum, does it? No. No. But it does give you lifelong friends. Like, everyone I've taught over the past 14 years, like, we still have a great chat when I bump into them. Like, we definitely go there, you know? ask the big hard questions on day one. Why are we here? Let's not muck around, you know. That's fun. And I love articulating myself because I feel like I'm not an articulate person. I find my body language is my preferred language and so English is a struggle to string sentences together. I find that extraordinary because the last hour has been... So riveting. Oh, I mean, you're that's so eloquent good. with yeah, with what you oh, I, are explaining. I feel like it's waffle and not at all. You know, I don't have confidence in my words like I do with my movement. Right. Like I know my movement is on purpose and crafted and beautiful or ugly. It's how I want it to be. But words, I feel I've I think I've always felt lesser than most because I feel like other people have access to more words or a deeper understanding of words that I never had or never felt I had. And so, yeah, I think, in a way, dance and sign language have been a secret weapon for me because I'm so confident with it. Are you a shy person? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, people think, I guess I'm joking when I say I am because I'm very charismatic and bubbly, bubbly in a social setting. Like, I can work a foyer at a theatre very well. Is Is that... The persona of Andy Dexterity, though, have Absolutely. you created? You've created a character yeah. that you can work, and then people expect that, and so I become that, which is fine because I love Andy Dexterity. He's he's fun, and but also at the same time, I'd much rather just be having a beer in the corner quietly, maybe with one other person, than talking with lots of people. I like making work and then sharing it when it feels ready. I, I struggle to. Um, interact with no preparation with seemingly intelligent people <laughs> <laughs> big changes ahead for you yes in a move to the states yes are you excited about that excited and petrified I am excited at the thought of America nurturing my creative urges but I'm also petrified at the thought of dropping below the poverty line (laughs) like what if it is going to be a financial struggle for a while because it probably will be initially by the time you set up and well I've been watching docos about Walt Disney and um, Fred Rogers and Jim Henson and they all struggled yep and on, on the surface, they built empires that, you know, mm. changed the world. And that's mm. all magic. And, yeah, I think I'm, I'm just preparing myself for that reality. Because I, I, I really, I want to give it a good go. You know, the, life doesn't give you a green card for you to half ass Like, I'm going to go there and make a good go of it. I want to create content that contributes to a better world and... Um, I don't know if I mentioned it before, but making kids content that is LGBT friendly and diverse and joyous and not full of sass and ego. You talked about those three gentlemen there, Walt Disney, Jim Henson and... Fred Rogers. Fred Rogers. Do you know Fred? No, I don't know Fred. He but but obviously children's called... entertainment. Yes. He was Mr. Rogers, was he? Yes, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I do know Mr. Rogers. be my neighbour? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful soul. So were these three men heroes of yours? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I went yeah. to Officeworks the other day and printed out photos. Right. I needed a f- visual focus for yep. the next week while I'm still in Sydney. Just to remind myself, okay, these are my kin, these are my peers, and we're going to do this, you know. Most of you are dead. Um, but that's okay. I'm going to continue this lineage and continue to make important um, entertainment for families. So you're looking at production or creative roles rather than performance when you go? I'm not sure what... You'll see what, what the world's going to... The requirements to. are. Yeah. yeah. Like, LA may m- want something of me. Um, I don't necessarily need to be performing. I probably will a bit because in my blood, you know, I hear a, a vamp and I'm all about it. Um, but yeah, I, I really want to get into the production side of things and make some decisions because I think, I don't know, I feel like joy, happiness and love can be a little bit cheesy and uncool, perhaps. And, you know, it's people like Disney and Jim Henson that remind you that it's very simple, you know, what they did was spread love and joy and that's all I want to do well I'm sure you will you oh. have you have thus far I'm sure it will continue and I'm we'll sure. be able to keep up with uh, yes. all those developments don't get on, too depressed on social media yes uh, one last question though before we do this finish is up it. this is it we're, we're, we're getting there has the time gone quickly it has you've oh enjoyed my... it haven't you I have I have I have and I didn't scull the champagne thank goodness no, I would have said been something sipping. silly no you've been very ladylike Um, Any tips for cultivating and maintaining a handlebar moustache? Is that that what it is? It's a handlebar? No, handlebars are bigger, aren't they? Look, yours twirl up at the the end. Some people say the ones that go down at the corners of the mouth are the handlebars. Right. And some people say the ones that curl up are handlebars. Like the leather man in uh, The Village People. Yes. He's got a handlebar. Yeah. I Yours mean, is like... Um, I'm sure you could hold on to either of them, to be mm, honest. Right. But my tips would be, ah, 
let your moustache speak to you. Let it be the moustache it wants to be. All oh, right, rather than you try and train yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you, you can prune it like a hedge and then, you know, force it into being. But, um, you know, see what it wants to do. It's expressive. You know, some days one side wants to go up, one wants to go down, you know. Just go with it. It's got feelings. <laughs> um, f- facial hair seems to be a trend at the moment for, for blokes. Did the must mus- with the moustache? Did you decide to make that part of Andy dexterity? Or no, I had a matching just, beard. Just, right. I, had, I had a friend down below. Yeah, and um, I think it was at the same time as starting Wiggles work that um, I shaved the beard off, and the moustache became part of my character, and so I just kind of committed to it. And now people know me for it. I had a crisis a few months ago and shaved it off. I was like, I'm sick of people only viewing me and treating me a certain way. And I don't think it was a very good idea. No, I've known you in all sorts of guises. And I can't imagine you now without it. Mm. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. um, Yeah. To be honest, when you have a moustache, you just end up talking about moustaches every day. I talk about it every day with somebody. Well, it's like having a dog, I guess. Isn't you can go and walk the dog and you can yeah. just have start up a conversation. How old is she? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is good. Yeah. And then people do want to pat it, just like a dog. Do you mind if I touch it? That's really bizarre. That's bizarre. Yeah, I usually touch their face back at the same time. Very good. Yeah. Right. I'm glad we finished on that note. I, th- I am glued to it. So, so let's just... Um, just a little cheers. Um, all the best for your move to the States. Thank you. Thank you. Thank um, you. I look forward to hearing um, fabulous things from afar. I look forward to sharing them when I get back. Terrific. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Oh, there you go. That wasn't too bad, was it? We said things. We said things that was great. We said some good things. All Stages episodes are available through iTunes, Wooshka and Spotify. Have you subscribed yet? Keep up to date with every new guest episode as it is released, but you must subscribe. And please take the time to rate and review the podcast in the iTunes directory. You'll be helping to grow our audience and reach more stages listening, so they can enjoy these great conversations, just as you have today. I'm Peter Ayers, and I'll catch you next time on Stages.